Justin, and I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and they. I'm Sadie. I work IT at a public library, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Jay. I'm a music library director, and my pronouns are he, him. Now listen, you crypto-Nazi. Stop calling me a crypto-Nazi. Let's call him names in your goddamn face, and you'll stay plastered. Stay plastered. And you'll stay plastered. I think he's slurring. Stay plastered. Listen here, you queer. William Buckley and Gore Vidal, me and who, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gore Vidal is like one of my problematic faves. I keep meaning to read up on Gore Vidal because for some reason he keeps coming up. Yeah, because like I work a couple different podcasts <laughs> I've been listening to. It just keeps coming up. I'm like, I don't remember anything about Gore Vidal. I was listening to a Gore Vidal audiobook when I had my head on collision in grad school. <laughs> And, and it happened in front of a church and I was coming back from a, a, a night of sodomy. And so I think I was like, and this was on Easter. And so I was too gay and God tried to kill me, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> it was a sign to keep going. <laughs> I live, bitch. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do, how did I used to do this? I wish we could oh, well. sample the Beatles, but we would get killed so fast. Also, the Beatles suck. I Enemy like of the pod. Monarchy. Arthur, don't listen. So the International Federation of Library <laughs> Associations and Institutions have announced that the 2024 World Library and Information Congress will be held in Dubai. Boo. Boo. So you probably saw this. It was making the rounds on social media. People were talking about the Dubai. I think uh, Emily Dravinsky retweeted a couple things about it. There was a vote of the IFLA members, institutions, volunteers, and I forget the fourth category, honoraries. And they all overwhelmingly were against it. And they're doing it anyway. So like, fuck you. Because money. I mean, really, this is sort of, I was thinking about this the other day when, um, like, how the ALA always invites, like, the Obamas or whatever. Like, you know, they got to give them, like, a, a ton of cash. And it's like, we all know that the, the post-political speaking campaigns are what you're promised for doing favors for people while you were in office. So it's like, okay, so who owes the Obamas what for, you know, or are you just like a rube and are like, we love you. Let's pay you a lot of money. Like if you didn't get anything from Obama and you pay him like $500,000 to talk for an hour, you're a sucker. But you always have to assume that this is just some kind of like quid pro quo. Everyone assumes that the Dubai hosting the, the, the Congress is a quid pro quo of some kind. I can't really work out exactly how. I assume. Just if like getting a lot of money. From I assume maybe they're just getting like they don't have to pay for the venue or something. I don't know. Well, doesn't like the hosting country have to pay to have it hosted there? Or is it the other way around? I mean, that's how it works for the Olympics. But I don't know about like the World Library Congress. Yeah, I went to the one in Columbus. I volunteered at it. It was actually really fun. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to have a federation of world library organizations. But um, yeah, I met a lot of cool like New Zealand librarians that way. Oh, sick! Who were like talking about like in like Maori subject headings and yeah stuff like that. Yeah, like cool cool shit was happening. Yeah, they've always got cool stuff going on with um. But this isn't cool. Yeah, this is. I'm pulling from a 
piece in the Journal of Radical Librarianship uh, that Jay sent in the Discord. They make a comparison to the arguments that were made for hosting events in apartheid South Africa, which I thought was a pretty apt comparison. Also, the like that when the bathroom bills and stuff were happening, I remember that was a thing too with people being like, "Oh, we can't host conferences or pay for employee travel to like North Carolina." Yeah, that's yeah. why we can't host uh, D Space in Texas. We can't have like a D Space meeting, even though we do a lot of contributions through like Texas Digital Library and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget which bill it was that triggered that, but they won't they won't come here because the other big one is California, and they won't be reimbursed for travel to Texas. Mm. I don't know if that's still in effect, but that was what happened a few years ago when we wanted to host it. And it's a good choice. They're right to do it. More people should. The uh, the argument they used that was similar to the one at, for having like sporting events in apartheid South Africa, which is the same one they're going to have for having them in Saudi Arabia when they have like the World Cup there in a few years, is that it's spreading democratic values and human rights. I wrote in the notes, uh, they're fucking monarchies. Uh, you <laughs> you're not spreading democratic values. You're these are. Mo- did liberals forget about monarchy? Did they forget that that was a thing? I feel like yes. they did distance themselves enough they think that monarchies are also democracies because freedom is democracy because of elizabeth i blame that bitch for making a monarchy look all cute and grandmotherly and fucking parasite in chief and her idiot hat. Li- glad that bitch is dead lizzie's in a box in a box in a box lizzie's in a box And so now that they have like a gross old man as their king and they don't like saying king, they're like, oh, that sucks. Uh, So (laughs) maybe they'll get rid of the monarchy now. Yeah. Having a queen is feminist, don't you know? (laughs) It's girl power. So it's it's in Dubai, which is one of the emirates. They're all authoritarian monarchies. And I don't think the ALA said anything about this. No, but I do remember back when this was first announced. Um, so IFLA has its own like membership group or council or committee or something for LGBTQ librarians. And like they do like committee work at IFLA me- meetings and shit, right? And they were like, hey, none of us can go to this meeting, my dudes. And they like wrote a whole statement about it, like condemning the decision and everything. And IFLA responded to them and basically to them and to everyone else who was like, uh, maybe don't have this in Dubai, sweaty bestie. Um, maybe don't do that. (laughs) They basically said that they realized that some IFLA members and librarians won't feel comfortable coming to this one but some librarians who haven't been able to go to other ones will finally feel comfortable going to this one it isn't that good and like we value diversity and stuff so basically it was saying we are going to sacrifice this group for this group in a really way in a way that's like very cynical and doesn't mean anything and also like they cited the like no one's been like killed by the state for being a faggot and like Five years. It's How fine. How do you know that? <laughs> yes, I'm right. uncomfortable with the idea of being thrown into a foreign jail. Like, <laughs> Jesus. And yeah, so I'm like, this 
I'm like, if <laughs> maybe don't. I did, though, worry that, like, a lot of, like, there's correct backlash to this IFLA decision, but also I worry that this is going to be an excuse for the fucking French to just like unleash a wave of like uh, Islamophobic and like anti Middle East sentiment because they're the champs at that. Like I would say that like in a ring of the United States and France for Islamophobia, I don't know who would win. <laughs> like you know, you can always get a lucky hit in, right? So I was like, I was very worried about like any like. French Library Association or whatever, like statements about this. Maybe that's me being xenophobic against the French. Sure. But they kind of earned it of <laughs> being like, women can't wear hijabs here. Surprise. So that's like my main worry with this is like intentional or unintentional like Islamophobic sentiment poisoning actual legitimate critiques against uh, this regime. This regime, like this has nothing to do with Islam, you know? Well, I'm not. I'm not clear if ALA voted against it because most member associations did. So I assume they did vote against choosing Dubai uh, when they did that poll that they ignored. So it doesn't really matter either way how what the ALA said because it seems like IFLA is just gonna do whatever. I feel like ALA is like a big part of IFLA that they could pull a little more sway, but can't do everything. Yeah, it's like IFLA and CLIP or whatever. But uh, Lieber did put one out, which is the Association of European Research Libraries uh, put out a statement about why they were voting against it and that they were voting against it. And I think that's good. It doesn't say that they're pulling out of participating in any way, but it says that they voted against it and they don't feel like it's a free space for open discussion. There was an interesting thing in the that I thought of in the article where the IFLA describes itself as uh, having core values of equitable access to information, promotion of diversity and inclusion, including on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. And I was just watching through some philosophy tubes videos uh, that I haven't seen some of the new ones. And she had one that really went into Sarah Ahmed's complaint. Yeah. Which is about, I haven't read it yet. I just asked my library to buy it. And that goes about the ways that uh, institutions defend themselves. And she was talking about how it is non-performative speech, meaning speech. So you have performative speech, which is speech that is an action. So I promise to do it is both speech and an action, the act of promising and saying that you're promising. And there's non-performative speech, which is speech that is intending to stop an action from happening. So that's what it turns your diversity statement into is it turns these documents into non-performative speech that exists to say, look, we're listening to you, we care about you, but we're not doing anything. So it turns them into a form of non-performative speech. I think it's a pretty cool distinction. I'm going to keep that in mind. That's why I want to I ordered the, put in the re- request for the book, because I don't do the DEI anymore. Hopefully we'll get it. If not, I'll just ILL it. I've got a stack of books I'm going through. I've got too many to Hot read. I'm not reading enough. I'm reading Bataille. I'm trying to read uh, Tamara Nice's Death Glitch so that we can have her on the podcast. So that's all I had. Fuck Ifla. Yeah, Ifla's in their statement, they really hide behind their Middle Eastern and North Africa colleagues and saying like, well, we want to bring it to them and they're excited about it. Which is like, which is true, but I mean, it's a valid statement. You could do it maybe not in Dubai. (laughs) There are other places. I mean, got like you've got options it doesn't have to be fucking dubai yeah like when i uh, of all the places like yeah let's do dubai (laughs) 
That's because you guys got it. money. Yeah, that's. Yeah, we're gonna do it in the line. We're gonna do it in Neom when they build yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go to that fucking Ifla. I'm not getting stuck in the middle of the desert with no sources of natural water. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck oh, God. The place is going to be a disaster. It's, yeah. Something's going to get built there, but I don't know what. Like, there was a time where, like, every other Twitter ad I got was for the fucking Neom or whatever. They're still doing it. They're, I haven't seen them in a while. They Maybe don't, they've them. never stopped typing it. But anyway, that was Enemy of the Pod. Monarchy. So we're going to try a new format today, which is Day in the Life of. So we have a lot of people who are interested in becoming librarians, people who are on the way to becoming librarians, people who are just curious about the field in general. So Jay suggested we do some days in the life of how our work actually goes and what our daily work schedules look like. So he's going to go first and we're going to interview Jay. Jay, Ah. how are you? Thanks for coming on. Yes, I've never been on this podcast ever before. Uh, We also thought this would be interesting because it's like, you know, sometimes we're very siloed in our work and don't know, like, I have no idea what Justin's work looks like as a scholarly communications librarian. And I've worked with plenty of Skullcom librarians, but I don't know what the fuck Justin does all day. You know, so it's like our kind of like even library, even people who are in the field already don't know what their colleagues across the hall do right to be fair i don't know what i do every day either yeah (laughs) i don't know what's gonna show up yeah i wrote fan fiction with my day today so like (laughs) gotta love work from home i did that i used to do that a lot at una (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't usually i will say that i think this is the first time i've actually like been that like delinquent about it but i took a nap in the middle of the day i've done that so work of our home is for I have a, but I also have a bed in my office on under my desk yeah like to be fair I know plenty of librarians who like have a little couch or a sleeping bag or something in their office for if they need to take a nap in the middle of the day like if their meds are making them crash or whatever like that's actually a pretty normal thing yeah someone who has Parkinson's was writing about it I don't remember I think it was when we were doing one of the episodes on um disability in libraries. And one of the mm-hmm. things we read was, uh, I think it was one of the co-authors of, of something we read. And we're talking about how they needed to have that under their desk so they could lie down like you know, every couple hours or uh, when things are flaring up. So, and I, I've, I've always like laid, just laid down on the floor, but I was like, I have money. I can buy like a little camping mattress. It's like two inches thick and it's a little more comfortable, mm-hmm. but a nice big couch would be also cool. I, I want a shiz. In my office eventually one day, but my current office is too small, alas. <laughs> yeah, we were thinking about moving my office to another floor, like my whole department, because we're growing. Um, but like the layout of the room is like really weird because it was like a media lab at one point. It's like a recording mm. studio, but my office would be like huge and I would definitely put a, a couch in there. So anyway, I've got a few questions for Jay. Yes. You- Figure it out because Jay, you went from working in big libraries to small, which is the opposite of what I did. Although I, yeah. I mean, as a graduate assistant, I worked in special collections at a big library, but as a librarian, I started in a small one, which was closer to like what you're doing now as a solo librarian. So when you were preparing to move into this job, like 
how did you get ready? So I luckily, so even though I like when I went to grad school, when I went to library school, because again, like I've said before, I, I think I'm one of the few librarians I know that like had a really good experience in library school and like actually found it helpful still. Like I don't feel like going to grad school was a waste of time for me. I know that's not everyone's experience. I thought mine was very valuable. And when I went into library school, I was like, I want to be a cataloging librarian. I want to do cataloging. I wanted to do mark cataloging. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then it like that slowly morphed into just like more general metadata. But like most of my stuff focused on the idea that I wanted to do cataloging and metadata. However, I couldn't get a graduate assistantship in cataloging or metadata. So I worked in reference and instruction, as well as um, I worked one year with the GovDocs librarian and one year um, sort of being an admin for LibGuides and stuff like that. And like teaching everyone, um, like teaching like people how to make them and everything. Um, so it's like I actually got most of my experience before having a professional job was in reference and instruction while I was taking classes more on tech services. So I feel like I had like the unique, like jack of all tradesy kind of experience in grad school. So um, that like, even though when I finally got a job that was metadata, right? My, my residency was a kind of, I rotated around departments in the library sort of each semester. So that gave me a lot of experience in a lot of different things. So actually I didn't do a lot to prepare for the idea of like suddenly having to do everything um, because I, there wasn't a lot that I didn't know. I might have more experience with some things than others and electronic resources management was something I never touched before. So I was like, how do you do this? Um, <laughs> and I'd like never had to bind a book before the, the book binding class at U of I, when I was there, by the way, was online and you had to mail your assignments to the professor. <laughs> And I did not take it because I did not think I would have to have to bind books. Jokes on me, I guess. But like, because yeah, I have to like pan bind uh, scores all the time. So there wasn't like a lot that I was like worried about. Of, like, fuck, I have no idea how to do this, for example. And I kind of liked the idea of being by myself because I'm kind of a control freak anyway. <laughs> and a thing that I noticed I had issues with when I worked at bigger state schools, right? Because I worked at the University of Utah where there were like... 40 faculty librarians alone, not even counting all of the staff that were in that library, right? Like the, the Marriott library is fucking huge. And UNH, there's like 14 faculty, right? And I was like the only librarian who did what I did. And then there was this librarian who did this, etc. And I would notice that like I'd have a, a priority or a deadline or a task or something I wanted to do, but uh, none of my work was ever, like all of my work, even if I was the one doing it, I always needed sort of stakeholder feedback, right? Or I needed approval or it relied on this moving part from this other place. And the just the machines of bureaucracy and different workflows and, and everything like that would like slow me down. And when I don't have control 
oh, this, I sound so bad. When I don't like have control over all of the moving parts, if there's something out of my control, I get frozen up because then I don't know what to do next. And then when things are slowed down and the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, like isn't going the way it's supposed to, then I look bad and I'm like, fuck, people think I'm not good at my job and I'm not going to get tenure. And then <gasps> I like start having a panic attack. And then I can't focus on anything else that I could be doing. <laughs> Suddenly I just like can't work on anything else. And so I would just get frozen. Or when I was having my little mental health episodes, which is often, some days I can just like, I cataloged like 30 something books in two hours today. Like I was like on fucking fire today and bound, Pam bound, hand stitched like 10 scores today and taught student workers how to do it today. Like that's what I was doing today. Some days I can't even look at my email and I have to play games on my phone in my office and pretend like I'm looking productive, right? Some days I just, my brain goes, no, I can't do shit today. And if other people are relying on me (laughs) and I'm slowing shit down, (laughs) then that's bad. But if I'm the only one, then it's like, okay, I know I'm not feeling good today. This is a day where maybe I, now that my student workers are here, or maybe I spend more time out with my student workers, talking with them, getting to know them, checking in with them, or like showing them around or doing stuff. Or today, oh, I know I need to work on, I need to get through all these emails, or I know I need to catalog today, or I know I need to do this. And it's like, because I, I'm in my own body and my own mind, I know that, um, like sort of what rhythm I'm in and how it might affect other people. But at least it's like, I'm the only, the library is just me, right? There might be other parts of the college of the conservatory that I affect, but at least with library stuff, I'm the only one who can fuck it up. And I'm the only one I'm relying on. So that's nice. And so like, that wasn't necessarily something I had to prepare for. And I was actually very honest in my job interviews when they asked like, what would you say with collaboration is like a weakness of yours or something you struggle with? And like, I didn't want to give the bullshit answer. I felt I'm just too good at it. And that's bad. <laughs> like, you know, like one of those bullshit answers. And so I gave the honest, like, yeah, sometimes my brain doesn't work. And I recognize that. And then I know how to work around it now. Um, so that wasn't what I was worried about. What I was worried about, I had never supervised anybody before. Um, and I knew I'd be some students. And that meant a lot to me because I wanted to be a librarian because of how good of experience I had being a student worker in a music library in college. Luckily, I'm still friends and colleagues with the person who was my supervisor. And I reached out to her uh, and she was actually helping me throughout the whole interview process. And I was like, hey, how the fuck do I supervise students? <laughs> what do I do? What do I need to know? So I, I reached out to her a lot about the supervising aspect because I just I didn't want to fuck it up. Um, and I still feel woefully underprepared for supervising students, uh, especially ones that are so close to my age, because we are just too friendly with each other. And I'm like, this is probably bad. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's sort of... Um, most of the sort of like preparing mentally for being a solo librarian that I had to do was just being like, it's okay that I won't know everything. And they knew that when they hired me and I can always ask questions because even if I did know everything, it might be a new system that I'd have to learn or new workflows. And I'd have to decide those myself. Right. So I just, I just have sort of gotten over the like, Oh no, people are going to know that I don't know things. I kind of just, I got over that early in my career. Like, I, I find it a source of strength that I don't know things because then it's like I ask questions and I make connections that way. And 
that's like all listservs are for is going, hey, I don't know a thing. Do you know the thing? Can you tell me the thing? Cool, thanks. So that's that's what I did. Yeah, that was a very long rambly. Was there anything that surprised you once you were a solo librarian? Like something you didn't foresee or something that you didn't think would be as big as it was? Like, is there any Mm. aspect when you got there that you were like, oh. Yeah, like I expected. So like my title is library director, right? I'm technically administrative staff, right? I am a class of employee who can't be unionized, which is very sad. And I was a little bit afraid of the admin part of my job because I've also never been in an administrative position before and don't particularly want to be. Like I, I wouldn't ever take an administrative type of position if it didn't also include actually getting to be a librarian, right? I didn't go to library school to be a fucking cop, you know? Uh, and um, and I was kind of worried about the, the bureaucracy aspect of being the man and making those kinds of decisions and like the budget and facilities and all this stuff. I was really worried about that. At this institution, I actually do less admin stuff than I had thought I would. Like I have to be aware of the budget and I kind of have to suggest maybe how much I might spend in this category, in this category, in this category. But like, I'm not the accountant, right? And ultimately budget decisions, I don't make the final say on them. I can't go, yes, I would like us to get open Athens. It's going to cost this much. And this is how we make it work. Like I have to get approval of that, like from the Dean of the conservatory. Right. So like part of the, like, oh, I'm, I'm the head honcho library director. Like a lot of that, like I, a lot of the way that like my decision-making and admin decisions and like project planning stuff works feels way more like when I was at UNH and like the faculty did a lot of policy and project planning and this more like um, abstract higher level stuff rather than more day-to-day operations. It feels a lot more like that where it's a lot of like, okay, I want to get more integrated into the curriculum How does that look? Or there's stuff I want to do with the concert office. What does that look like? Um, And it's less what maybe I imagine a dean of a library or an AUL or whatever, like what I imagine that role to be like. I just feel like I get to be a regular librarian and I sometimes have to like tell the dean I want to do a thing and get permission. So that that was what surprised me about being a library director here is that it doesn't feel like what would being a library director would be like elsewhere. I feel way more like maybe like a department head in a library or like the the head of a like yeah like the head of a department or or something than I do a director sometimes. Yeah. I think my director at at Hodges was like I don't think she had any budget control cuz the budget was flat and it's all eaten up by your subscriptions like your ILS, your mm-hmm. ebook subscriptions, the couple of databases we had. Oh, actually mm-hmm. we had a pretty good range of databases. Because we didn't have like a full university. We had like a business school, a health school, and like we only need to get so many. We rely on the BPL for most of ours because if you are a student physically where I am, then you can get a Boston Public Library card or e-card and they have JSTOR and they have all the other ones. So like we get education source because we have, we're conservatory, but we also have like a, a master's of music education and there's an online version of that and our online students can't get BPL stuff unless they live in Massachusetts or something. 
So we have that for them. And I don't think BPL has education source. Um, and then we have some like sheet music subscriptions and then like things like IPA source, um, uh, stuff like that. Encoda, you know, RILS is like we um, we're actually in cahoots to maybe do a system migration, but I have no idea what that's going to look like with cost. But yeah, yeah, very small budget. <laughs> that was the thing I was most afraid of. I was like, fuck, I have no idea how to do a budget. I'm terrible with money. Um, but um, I, I, bear, I really have to do anything. I just be like, well, don't buy too many scores. I use ILL for a lot of the time. I got a new ch- office chair last year and I'm not getting too much else this year. Cool. <laughs> yeah. They, a while ago it came up about me having a department budget, but I was like, for what? I mean, like I can just ask you to buy the, the stuff that I need and that I don't have to do extra admin. Cause like, you know, how often do I need to buy something? Like we need a new chair for one of us. Everything else is already furnished. Like we moved offices like one time, but those are already furnished. So it was like, yeah, we didn't. There's no need to control the budget because it's just like e press, yeah, and office supplies. You know, we have plenty. Students just steal pins, so we go through pins a lot. <laughs> they just steal them. That's why you put the little flowers on them. Oh, that's why whenever you see flowers like like plastic flowers taped onto pins, it's so people don't take them. Oh, is that why? Something for your student workers to do. Here, take these They do these like pens. crafts. Yeah. That's done on pen theft. Yeah. When it looks like people have put work into it or it's just too bulky to steal. And you put it in your pocket like without even paying attention. And then you go, oh, it's a flower. Or like, I know where I got this pen from. It's not mine. Yeah. Of, you know, your standard Bic where you walk away and you don't remember where you picked it up. Yeah, because I would steal pens too because I'm always like... I've got three pens on my desk right now, and I only know how two of them got here. So I must have walked another one here from like somewhere, but couldn't tell you where I got it. Yeah. It's definitely mine because I only buy fancy pens, but I don't know where in the house it was. This is something interesting. You said it was hard to develop a rhythm because your work changes day to day. So what do you do for rhythm? Because I do a work journal, and I'm a big advocate of work journals. Yeah, so as we've discussed before in this podcast, I I like um, one of my worst traits is that I really like like productivity systems and and stuff like that. Like I don't want to be a capitalist about it or like support capital, but like I, I like little systems. I find them neat, and I got to experiment a lot with them at UNH um, because of work from home. Because I my job was like a thing. And I could experiment with like workflows and, and stuff like that. Here, I don't really get to do that. And like I've I, I've talked with, um, I just changed supervisors, but my previous supervisor, like he and I would talk a lot because um, he had similar issues, and uh, we would talk a lot about like strategies and stuff. And it's just like. I might want to like part of me thinks like, oh, well, what if I did a thing where it's like on this day, I do this and I only do this thing on this day On this day, I do this and I only do this on this day, figure out how to delegate more things to my student workers, you know, whatever. But it's like, I feel like I can never get on top of things enough to even put that in place. Everything's just always now. Right. So it's like, how do I put things on pause enough to develop a little system or put something in place when everything's just always happening. Right. So that's sort of 
Like I'm always for the past year, it's like, man, I really need to get back into like doing my, like building a second brain and Zettelcast and stuff. And I really need to get back with my to-do lists and get like a little productivity system or like get back to doing sprints for project-based work or, or whatever. And maybe now that like a, a lot of the reason why I don't have, I let a lot of that go over the past year was my commute was six hours round trip and I was just burnt out. And so much of my mind for the past six plus months has been like, fuck, I need to move and I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh no, this apartment application got denied because of my pet oh no, I don't know how to get a roommate. Like all of this stuff, I just haven't been able to fucking think and it just burned me out at work. And so I couldn't even like, how do I focus on, like, how do I even build a like system or a rhythm or anything? I mean, my mind is just like, oh, an email came in, I can deal with the email. Oh no, this thing is now yelling at me because I didn't do it when I was supposed to or in time. Oh shit, I better do that now. But I'm hoping now that like I live in Boston, my commute's not ridiculous anymore. I'm working fewer hours per week now, so I actually have more free time. I'm hoping my mind can like (sighs) load a bit and I can start thinking about how I might want to structure things more, especially now that I've got a better sense of what kind of work I do and what that looks like um, and how I might be able to structure it off. And plus I was like on campus, like I would leave early on Thursdays and uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays this past year because of my commute. Now it's like, I'm here Monday through Thursday, nine to four thirty. So it's like I'm there more and I don't, I don't feel so time crunched. So we'll we'll see how I like start doing that. But I, I've like I used to be really into like interstitial journaling where it's like you stop every so often, like maybe you do a Pomodoro and once your Pomodoro goes off or like whatever, you write down what not just like what you're doing, um, but like did you end up going on social media and get distracted and stay distracted? What's distracting you? What are you feeling? So it's like writing down what, not just what you're doing, but like even if you got distracted and, and like kind of what you're feeling and why, and then getting back on track and putting the time on there. I used to be super into that, but like I just have felt so every moment is the now and I can't plan or think ahead or remember to do that kind of shit. So I used to love doing that. Um, I've also like, there's this thing called Timular and it's like a, a diamond thing that you can buy and like it helps you track your activities by like you assign each side to an activity and like you put it in a little stand and depending on what side is up, it tracks time for that thing. A former colleague at UNH had one of these and showed me and it's how she would track time and develop a spreadsheet for it for her tenure stuff she could be like i spent this much time doing this and this much time doing this and i thought that might be nice because it's like a visual reminder and you can like turn it and it's fun to at least see how long i'm spending on certain things so it's like Uh, a subscription is it a subscription now fuck because you used to be able to buy the thing (laughs) yeah because when you look at the website it's just like a a really nice calendar app it looks kind of like like air table do they not give you the thing anymore? Uh, I'm sure. I mean, it's, uh, I like the thing. It's Time Mueller, right? Yeah. Try the tracker, the Time Mueller tracker. Oh, so yeah. it's like a, it's like a DA. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's got a little stand and like, depending on like what side is facing up, it tracks that activity, which like $69. you can do Nice. Which like you can do for free, but this is fun. So, <laughs> but yeah, like stuff like that. It's like, it's like, I, in theory know how to like track my activities and even maybe structure them better. But I felt like, Every moment has been the now and I haven't been able to like think through it enough to actually implement it. But I hope that changes now that I'm not fucking burnt out as much. Weird. I want to see this thing in motion. Yeah. It's not a very good sales website. I want to see it move if it moves. It do- it doesn't. You just like set it down a certain way and it tracks that time. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So it's like you have to physically like I'm setting it this way and the side. That means I'm working on that and then it sends it to a little spreadsheet. Okay. Yeah. Like it's pretty cool. So walk us through a day. It can be a random day because it's I know that stuff is changing a lot. But Mm -hmm. do you have any sort of structure you set yourself or what could a day look like? You could give us like a hypothetical day. Um, I'll actually do like a combo of yesterday and today because they kind of show two extremes of like my day could look this way or my day could look this way. Yesterday, I was in meetings or doing something like on my calendar from 1030 a.m. until 530 (laughs) p.m. It's like I got to work closer to 930 than nine because of the tea. And it's the first week that I have my student workers. Um, And so it's like I'm spending a lot of time with them of, you know, touring them around the library, checking in with them, answering questions, showing them how Koha works, making sure their keys work, stuff like that. So like that's what I was doing in the morning. Normally what I like to do the first thing when I get into my office is I like checking my email. And I like to only check my email for like 30 minutes. So it's like I'll get to my office between 9 and 9.30. And if I get there before 9.30, I dick around until 9.30. Like I let myself kind of wind down and mentally prepare for work. And at 9.30, from 9.30 to 10, that's emails time, baby. That's going through and it's like trying to respond to things if I can, if not saying, hey, I'll get back to you or whatever, marking it as a to-do. And I like to archive things even if I flagged them because you can look at flags in Microsoft to-do and stuff. So it's like I try to keep my inbox looking clean because otherwise it gets overwhelming to me. I get a lot of questions about like, hey, do we have this? Hey, like, you know, can we put this on reserve or we need this for chamber ensemble? Hey, I'm having trouble accessing this off campus, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I like to do emails for like 30 minutes. That's kind of my role. I I do have email open during the day because I am the library director and sometimes things are more immediate. But ideally, I would only do emails from like 9.30 to 10 and then like right when I got done with lunch for another 30 minutes. And then maybe at the end of the day, take a glance at it before I leave just to make sure there's nothing pressing. If I have meetings, I like for them to be in the afternoon. The morning, I feel like my meds have just kicked in and I'm not sleepy yet and I'm in work mode and things are maybe quieter. So I like to have meetings in the afternoon and in the morning is when I like to work. Yesterday I had a meeting at, um, no, my meeting was it, was it a 10 30 or was it a 10? 
regardless, I think it was a 10. I had a meeting with uh, some of the librarians at Bard College because we're technically part of Bard and they are migrating. They're doing a system migration and I'm part of the committee to help choose the new system because we might be piggybacking off of it. And I happen to know the librarian over at Bard who's in charge of this. And she was like, hey, do you want to be on this? And I was like, yeah, this is not me committing to paying for this. Should we pick it? (laughs) Cool beans, let's go. Um, So it was like that kind of meeting of like external to my workplace, right? And that got out sooner than I thought it would. That did not last a full hour. And I don't know about y'all, but if a meeting ends sooner than it was supposed to, I can't just then go do something else. My mind goes, no, you blocked this time off. And so I just like dicked around on my phone until my next meeting because uh, <laughs> I just like couldn't do anything, right? The, the the trials and tribulations of ADHD. I saw that I had an email from the night before after work hours from a professor going, hi, are you free at this time tomorrow, aka yesterday, to come to my class for an hour to do an instruction session? They need a lot of help. And I was like, you know what? Sure. I'm not doing anything then. <laughs> I can wing it. Um, I didn't even know what class I was. <laughs> I had to look up. What's, what's the M574? I don't know. I found out what it was. And I went in and yeah, so it's like I had to add something to my calendar that wasn't there before. Uh, and wing, you know, did an instruction session out of my ass. <laughs> and it was great. We're trialing a new discovery layer right now. So a lot of my instruction sessions have involved like also showcasing the new discovery layer and like showing people how to use it and being like, and I want feedback and yada, yada, yada. And in my previous life, I was a discovery librarian. So this is something I know a lot about. Um, my my strengths are coming through right now. I, I feel in my element. It's very fun um, that I get to do the thing and also show people how to use the thing and get their, their feedback. I... Uh, also had um, a staff meeting yesterday, and I did that over Zoom instead of going in person because it was during a time when uh, I didn't have student workers. Um, I try not to schedule them over lunch or at noon, right? And I was the only person in the library. And if people needed help, I didn't want to be gone for an hour, you know. Uh, And then one of my new student workers came in for her first shift, and I had to show her around, right? And then I had to run off to that instruction session, right? As soon as I got back from that instruction session, I had a meeting with my new supervisor for an hour <laughs> uh, where we went over like what my goals were, what my projects are, what my some problems have been, what I'm working on, what I want to work on. Let's brainstorm solutions, stuff like that. I really like her. Um, we started at, here at around the same time. And so it's like fun to be working together now. Immediately after I got back from that, I had to do another instruction session. <laughs> This time for a course on uh, string quartets. And so, like, I had to show off the new discovery layer, but there was also this focus on, like, how do you find diverse repertoire? How do you find repertoire specifically for string quartets? What kind of copyright info do you need to know about this stuff, right? What external resources are there? That kind of thing. Uh, So that one actually had to do a lot of prep for, and I knew about that one, like, a couple weeks ahead of time. And then I went home. Today, I had no meetings and it was beautiful. (laughs) So it was like I went from having a day with like seven hours of meetings straight 
uh, of meetings and instruction sessions to no meetings that have been very behind on cataloging stuff for our music ed course reserves. And I had to buy a bunch of stuff for course reserves this year as well. And all of that came in. And so I was just cataloging shit all morning. And I don't do really in-depth cataloging anymore. I do copy cataloging. I find a record that looks good and I don't change it. I ain't got time for that. So like, that's what I was doing all while like talking to my grad fellows. I actually streamed myself doing this in the discord because I was like, Hey, maybe some of the library school students in the discord would find it interesting to see me do boring copy cataloging of music scores and, and stuff while listening to me like answer questions from my student workers and just hearing them being chatty. <laughs> right. And like me going like, why the fuck is this not working? <laughs> like that's like, that's what I did for like two hours was copy cataloging. Um, and then after I was done with copy cataloging, like in the afternoon, I then had to bind a lot of so um, if you haven't worked in a music library at all scores uh, most of the time don't stand up on their own on a shelf so you pam bind them you get pamphlet binding and it's this, these weird board folder things and you can either staple it but that's boring or you can hand stitch with like linen thread and like the, 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 the score, like the sheet music into the pamphlet binding. Um, and sometimes that pamphlet binding also has folders in the back for the parts. If it's a score plus parts. Right. And so I had to teach myself how to do pamphlet binding last year. Cause I was like, how do I do this? I don't know. I've never had to, uh, but now I know and it's very fun. And my student workers were there and I was like, Oh wait, delegation. That's a thing. Hey, student workers, who wants to learn how to do pamphlet binding? And so I got to teach my student workers how to do pamphlet binding. And it was very fun. And we all did it together at the circulation desk, like a happy little family, while there was printer problems. Because rule number one of working in a library is that the printer is always broken. I don't care how much fucking money your library has. The printer is always broken. I don't care if you bought it two seconds ago. It's broken. And it's going to be broken until the end of time. That's just the truth. So there's always there's printer issues on top of me teaching students how to do uh, pamphlet binding. And then like I just spent my afternoon like book binding with my student workers. And that was like really chill and fun. And we were like talking about what auditions they had coming up, what how their classes were going, um, stuff like that. Like just like chatting. I was like getting to know their what they're doing in school and stuff like that. Cause like I try to care about them. <laughs> I try to care about all the other students as well. Like I learn what they're doing. That was actually something that got like written up about me and like my annual review and stuff. Uh, this year was that like I actually remember that a huge part of this job is about forming relationships with the students and caring about them and what they do and like learning their names and like going to their graduate recitals and stuff like that and so like I, I like doing that that's what I do as a librarian like, like being a librarian is about connection surprisingly what a fucking concept you gotta do that <laughs> So I do that and um, I tell them about labor laws and uh, how I treat them as if they're unionized, even though they're not. And hey, here's a thing you should look out for in future workplaces. And how is everything? Do you need to be let out early? What's going on? How can I help? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like dirty commie. Like, yeah, no, I try to I, I try to be like, hey, listen, <laughs> 
let me know what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm not your friend. I'm your boss. And I will treat you as if you're unionized, even though the graduate fellows aren't unionized. Um, and I don't know if they can be because it's not like a graduate assistantship or anything. It's a scholarship with work placement. Mm-hmm. They don't paid like the payment is the scholarship off their tuition. So like I can have as many graduate fellows as I want. It doesn't come out of my budget. So I go, give me so many graduate fellows. And then I don't have to worry about paying a student worker, right? Which that was hard last year when I actually did hire some student workers, which meant I had to reject some student workers, like some people who applied. I didn't like doing that. I don't, I, I didn't like doing that at all. That's not a thing I liked about, uh, I like about this job and I don't want to do it anymore. So that's the thing I learned about myself. At least you can do it quickly. Yeah. Which other people don't. Do like I, it takes forever to get a rejection email, but not if you apply to a job in my department. If I'm handling it, I will let you know the moment someone accepts an offer. I'm emailing everyone else we interviewed and going, yep. someone accepted it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not emailing you six months later. Same. Yeah, I mean, like with student workers, I like as soon as I made decisions, I was like, hey, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, and I sent those emails out myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, it gives um, them. Oh, you don't trust HR to do it. No. 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 Um, like I sent the emails out myself. I was like, Hey, so that's sort of like what my day looked like today. As I was leaving, I was like, Hey, student worker, I need you to do this while I'm gone. Finish up doing this. Um, make sure this, this, this is this. Cause luckily I had one of my returning student workers working with one of the new ones until closing after I was gone. And so like, I was like, hold down the fort. I trust you. I give them my cell phone number and I have told my supervisor that I do this. You really shouldn't give student workers your phone number. But like if something immediate happens, I'm not putting teams on my phone. Are you fucking kidding me? If there's like an emergency or if they have an immediate question or or if they're like sick or running late or something, they can just like shoot me a text and they can't talk to me otherwise. Like that's fine. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes like one will be running late and I'll shoot a text like, Hey, are you okay? Are you coming to work? Question mark. Are you dead? Oh crap. I forgot I was working today. You know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, and I was like, am I allowed to do that? And my previous supervisor was like, technically no, but we all do. <laughs> so um, like, that's another thing. Um, you know, so that's like sort of, what my week so far, like some extremes of have, have looked like now that I, now that the students are back on campus and now that my student workers are in the library over the summer when there was nobody here, including none of my student workers. And it was me by myself. It was a lot of like, uh, I don't have my budget yet. I can't make a decision. Oh no. My brain is fried for moving. I can't catalog anything I'm supposed to, uh, nothing's getting done cool the summer went by and i don't remember what happened so (laughs) yeah does that answer your question Mm -hmm. i think we covered a a good episode yes uh some professional development yeah um so uh, an important thing about this job is it's not just that i'm a solo librarian now it's also that i'm a music librarian now dear listeners i do not have a music degree And most music librarian jobs, you need to have at least a bachelor's in music, either performance or musicology, if not a graduate degree, right? You need to know a lot about music to work in a music library. You need to know the quirks about searching for scores 
to work in a music library. Um, it's it's finicky. It's fussy. Even if I'm like relying on the expertise of faculty for collection development and stuff of like, hey, I don't dick about jazz. What do we need? Even, you know, with that, it's like I need to know how I might search for something in a catalog, right? I need to know that kind of thing. Luckily, when I was a student worker, I worked in a music library and like I play like five instruments and I actually know a lot about music and I know music theory and, you know, all sorts of shit. So they hired me knowing I didn't have a music degree, but obviously knew a lot about music. But like because of that, like I am like, what the fuck do music librarians do? What do I do? Because they wouldn't let me take the music library in class in grad school. So a lot of my professional development has been just like talking with other music librarians and being like, Hey, what do I need to know? Part of my job, my like job negotiation for my job offer when they wouldn't boost my salary up anymore was pay for my membership in the music library association for five years. So each year for five years, my membership to MLA comes right out of the library budget. There's a line item for it. And I get guaranteed $500 of professional development every year for a couple of years, um, which I used last year to help pay for me going or for this year, you know, back in February, March, to help pay for me to go to the Music Library Association annual conference, where I, I went to so many sessions, and I took so many notes, and I talked to so many librarians and was like, honest about what my situation was, and like, not knowing and like, it was my first time going. And so I signed up for the mentor program and got like a conference mentor um, and everything. Like I did the whole shebang. Um, I was such a nerd about it, right? I felt like like when I was fresh out of grad school, you know, because I was technically like a new career kind of thing, right? Um, and I learned a lot and it was really great. And um, there's still a lot that I'm following up on and getting ideas about. Um, so there's that. And luckily the New England Music Library Association, like our branch, is really strong and active. And you can throw a like you can't throw a rock in Boston without hitting a music library, luckily. So there's a lot of like for me to be a new music library and I'm in the right place to do it because there's just so many people that I can talk to. I can like walk across the street and be in Harvard and be like, hey, Harvard music librarian who I know. You know, I'm friends with um, some of the librarians at New England Conservatory. I'm friends with the people at BU. Like, it's great. And then my library, like, for more library director things, like, my library is part of the Massachusetts library system, which has a professional development library that if you are a member library of the system, you can check out books from this professional development library. You can also get free consultation where the, you like, hey, I would like training or consultation or whatever. And the Massachusetts library system like sends someone from their office to your fucking library and like helps you and like asks you what you need. They like check in with you every year and they like come interview you and everything. And like, you're like, hey, if you need a training or a consultation, like let us know. 
and they offer webinars all the time and like they offer grants for like learning another language. Um, so I've already gone to a lot of webinars and I've had the like person come to visit wants to like check in on me. I've got some books checked out about library management and about supervising students. And like, I have those checked out. So that's good. And I also had my library join the Finway library organization, uh, which is here in Boston, mainly because of like shared purchasing power, but they also have member interest groups around controlled digital lending, as well as some other things. And they offer webinars and meetings and everything around these topics. And so just meeting other librarians and having these discussions and seeing what resources are out there has been really helpful to me. And I'm glad that I'm in the admin position that I am where I can be like, hi, we're going to join the Finway Library Organization. And here's why, here's how much it costs. And the people who don't know library stuff, but control the budget go, that makes sense. Cool. And say yes. So then I just get to like, be like, we're joining this, we're joining this, we're doing this, I'm doing this. And like, I get to make all these decisions, which then help my professional development while also like getting other benefits on, on top of it. So that's nice. I'm also um, uh, friends with Callan, um, who is also a solo librarian slash library director at an equally small college in the Boston area. And so when I first got this job, um, she and I would talk a lot and uh, even hung out a little bit one time. She did this, like, there's this, like, new library director summit thing. And she got her work to pay for it. Uh, I don't know if I still qualify for it. And then I would have to look at the budget. But you basically get paired with like a mentor for a year kind of thing. Um, So it's something I've considered. But that was like a nice resource to have that she was like in the area and a similar kind of solo librarian slash library director. Nice. We covered everything. I was looking to see if they still make those accidental librarian books. And if they made one for music librarians, but I don't see one. There is an mm. essay in Music Reference Services Quarterly from 2020, mm. but I don't think they still make those adventures of or the accidental librarian books. Yeah, I was the music liaison at uh, UNH for a little while, but that was mainly collection development where they would be like, hey, buy us this book. And I would go, cool. Hey, person who buys the books, <laughs> we're getting this book. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Honestly, like the biggest difference in being a music librarian to other kinds of librarians so far is like the fucking pamphlet binding uh, and like how f- fucking fussy searching for scores is, um, which I already luckily knew because when I worked at a music library as a student, that was like working at the desk. It was a thing we were taught how to do it was like, here is the way that you search for scores here's the questions to ask of people looking for things because like even with a cd this recording has this conductor and they want that one they don't want other recordings with other conductors so like you know that kind of thing that i already knew that so that wasn't a shock or a new thing to get used to i already knew that but that i would say is just like the biggest difference about being a music librarian over other subjects maybe they do have the accidental library manager i don't okay, know how maybe old these that. all are 2005. Yeah, yeah, these are all pretty old. They should update them because I got one when I was a health services, uh, allied health liaison. So I needed to learn like health databases and stuff. And that was a good, like, basically got me through every every situation I needed. Liaison doesn't need to know much. Yeah. 
Um, and like, luckily, the conservatory I'm at doesn't do a lot of musicology or research, nor does it like grant DMAs. And so there's not a lot of people doing research and like faculty don't even like have to write or do research or anything. It's like mostly performance. So I'm mainly helping people find sheet music. Every once in a while, you'll get the vocal pedagogy folks being like, I have to research a thing. And then I have to help them research a thing. Um, but for the most part, it's, hey, can you get me the score? Yes, I can. Okay. Cool, cool. Link for the discords in the description. If people would find it fun for me, for me to maybe do some like streaming myself, doing some some pamphlet binding sometime, that could be fun. Yeah, if you need to learn how Hell to do yeah. that. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jay. You're welcome. Good night.